This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. My name is Tom Owens. I am a retired worker for the Department of Agriculture, and I'm here to share with you a story that has been the source of much anxiety, many questions, and more sleepless nights than I would care to think about. This is but one of the strange things that happened to me during my time working as a timber and silviculture tech for the Forestry Service in Indiana. For a long time, I have held my silence about what happened in fear of what may become of me if I decide to tell this story. I was forced to sign paperwork stating I would forever keep it a secret. Well, today that silence will be broken. Having worked for the Forestry Service for almost 22 years, it's easy to say that a person need quickly learn to respect the forest and its inhabitants, animal or otherwise. A lot of the work involved would probably seem like pretty mundane things, such as marking out trees for timber and preparing locations for seeding and tree planting. A lot of my time was spent alone or in small groups. Bizarre things happened to me in both of those situations, and I can assure you that the feeling of safety in numbers really did not apply in my experience. I cannot recall the exact date when this story takes place, but I know it was early fall of 1988, and I had recently just celebrated my 38th birthday and had been living in Nashville for a couple of years by then. I had been teamed up with Henry Waite and new boy Stanley Holt to scope out timber to be harvested for firewood in the Brown County State Park, just off the Salt Creek Trail. Henry, a towering frame of a man who, at one time at least, would have looked like he could fell a tree with a single blow of an axe if he so wanted to, had been doing this work almost his entire life. He was maybe three or four years off retirement at this point. He had deep furrowed lines crossing about his face and forehead which suggested a more than serious look about him, and had a deep, gravelly voice that time had clearly softened. I had worked with him on a number of occasions in the 22 years I had under my belt with the service, and in honesty, I didn't mind the old-timer. I mean, he wasn't always the perfect co-worker. He could be awkward when it came to making decisions, and there were times when I would be sweating my tail off moving equipment about, only to find the guy sleeping in the cab of our truck but I had to accept the poor dude was nearly 70 years old and had clearly done his share of manual labor in his time. I certainly had a lot more time for him than the others, it seemed. Henry used to have some really interesting stories. He used to tell others about stuff he'd heard out in the forest and stuff he claimed to have seen too. Oftentimes he was alone when these occurrences took place and the other workers never really paid him much attention and generally would pass off his stories as mere scaremongering verging on the ramblings of a senile old man. As for myself, I took his tales with a pinch of salt. Heaven knows you had to, 
Otherwise, you'd likely find yourself out alone one day and hear something in the distance and end up totally crapping yourself and running back to your truck. Other than this, though, he never was one to talk all that much beyond small talk and chit-chat, but when he was recalling one of his stories, he would come to life, so to speak, and really put a great show on. He was one hell of a storyteller, that's for sure. I can picture him now, with his tufty gray hair wafting about in time to his movement, and the large lump of fur resting upon his top lip, obscuring a rather large portion of his weathered old face, twisting and protruding as he formed his words enthusiastically. There's no telling what you might run into out there, son, he would often exclaim in his gruff, yet somehow gentle voice. But anyway, I'm here to share my own story, and I hope I can portray it as well as Henry often did. I remember the rays of the low-set afternoon sun were still strong for that particular time of year, casting a warm glow over the still green forest surrounding us. We had just finished packing our kit bags with the markers and measuring equipment we would need, and were about to set off to the designated area on our charts to begin tagging trees ready for harvest. This was our last job for the day and conversation was thin, as Stan, the new guy, didn't seem like a conversationalist of any kind, and the three of us settled into that semi-comfortable silence that strangers often find themselves in when waiting for a bus or queuing up at the checkouts in the store. He struck me as the sort of person who was simply here to do his job and then go home. He had no interest in it other than the financial reward he would receive at the end of each week of work. Fine by me, I thought, as we quietly made our way along the well-worn path. The route we were taking was one often used by hikers to reach the nearby camping area and a rather nice viewing point. A few minutes passed before anyone broke the silence, and it was Henry that did so. Looks like we need to follow the trail as far as the fork then hang a turn south into the trees, he stated. Then probably another twenty minutes heading slightly east, and we should spot the first few that are ready for the chop, I said. You have been out this way before then, I take it? Henry paused a beat before answering. Yep, remember this trail well. Been a few years, mind you. And he gave me a quick glance over his shoulder. I noticed that when I had asked the question, he had straightened his back ever so slightly as he answered. Something the matter, Henry? I asked. Not the location of one of your famous ghost stories, is it? I said jokingly, trying to lighten the atmosphere. Stan gave me a funny look that clearly said he didn't know what I was on about. Henry just scratched at his thinning hair. Ain't no ghosts in my stories, son. He didn't say anything more, just maintained the same pace, trudging ahead along the trail. What stories are you talking about? Stan was looking at me. A look of concern had crossed his face. He was only twenty or twenty-one, his slight build looked out of place in his uniform, and the kit bag looked like it might pull him down to the ground at any moment. Oh, nothing really. Henry likes to tell stories about himself and scary stuff that's happened to him out here. He's quite the storyteller. Wouldn't you say, Henry? I said, glancing past Stan to where he was making his steady progress. He didn't respond. Scary stories? Ha, huh, like what? Stan said. Not ghosts. Witches and werewolves. Ain't that right, Henry? I said, trying again to get a reaction out of him. But still, he remained silent, except this time I saw his shoulders rise and drop in a theatrical sigh. I continued, Rumor has it the poor dude ended up marrying one, I said jokingly, expecting to have to dodge a right hook from Henry, but still, there was no noticeable reaction. I bet there are some really weird things out here, not like people spend much time out wandering about the forest, is it? Stan said, adding his thoughts on the matter. Finally, he spoke. 
Not true, son. There's plenty of things out here. Not just deer and cougars, though. But sure, there are fewer people relying on the land nowadays compared to when I was your age. And that's for the best, I can assure you. So what about hikers and such? Should they worry about these... things? asked Stan. He's been out here all of an hour and already he's lapping it all up, I thought. I wasn't that gullible when I was so young. Things is right, boy. I don't rightly know what someone should call them, Henry said. Sometimes I wonder if they're even really of this world. Okay, let's not scare the crap out of the poor guy before he's even done any work, Henry. We've got a lot to get on with this afternoon, and we need all the help we can get if we want a chance of getting home in time to see the sunset, I interjected. Henry chimed back with, All I'm saying is, it's best to keep an eye out for weird crap out here. We're alone and a good few miles from, well, anybody, if you think a bow. That's enough, man, I cut him short. For Pete's sake, can we just get on with finding these trees and doing our jobs? My temper was fraying. Henry wasn't normally like this. Usually he just wanted the same as me. Do a good job, then get on with making it back to the truck safely before it gets dark. I too had heard strange noises when working out alone, but your mind plays tricks on you when there's no company. The last thing I wanted was to be stuck out here in the pitch black with a rookie and Mr. Stephen King himself, lugging all this crap about with us. Henry just grunted something at me and carried on walking. Stan was eyeing me with a look of worry about him, but didn't press the matter any further, much to my relief. It wasn't much longer before we reached the fork in the trail that Henry had mentioned earlier. He set down his bag and took a seat on a fallen tree whilst I took out the chart and made note of our destination from where we were. Looks like we cut through in this direction, I pointed out. Then it should be only another twenty minutes further on. Is it okay if I go take a leak? asked Stan. I shouldn't have finished my flask of coffee on the drive over here. Does a bear crap in the woods? replied Henry. Stan seemed a little embarrassed but said no more and cut off the path through the tree line for a little privacy. The trees were a lot denser in the direction we were headed. Not much sunlight made its way through the thick canopy provided by the trees and foliage. There was a slight chill in the air now, it seemed, and a gentle breeze had picked up along with what was the beginning of the even chorus of bird songs. So what do you make of him? I took the opportunity to ask Henry, Who? What do you mean who? Stanley, the new guy. You know, been with us the past couple hours on his first day. Or is your memory going in your old age? My memory is just fine, actually. I was just thinking about something else is all. Something else? Henry didn't reply. Care to elaborate? I asked after a moment. Just the last time I was up here. Not one of my best days at work, from what I remember. Some really weird stuff started happening. Oh God, can you drop the weird stuff thing already? I replied tensely. For the first time that afternoon, I felt a strange sense that something was not quite right. Like the sensation we were being observed or something. Jeez, have you let him get to you too? I thought to myself. I shook the feeling off and a moment or two later Stan returned and we made our way east as planned. Though this time I was paying a lot more attention to our surroundings. The area we were in occasionally received reports of large carnivores, such as mountain lions, gray wolves, and black bears. It sometimes paid to keep a casual idea of your surroundings. I didn't fancy unknowingly being stalked by a mountain lion or such. About halfway to the marked area on the map, I began feeling my legs start to protest at carrying the large weight on my back. I wasn't unfit by a long run, far from it in fact, but as we were no longer on the marked path, 
it was surprising how much more energy was required to make progress through the undergrowth. Where we were headed was only just over a half mile from the trail as the crow flies, but the going was much tougher and more time-consuming. I began to wonder how long Henry would go before he too started to slow, but to my surprise, he carried on without a problem. Stan, on the other hand, was clearly not as used to the hard trek with the extra weight. Dark sweat patches had formed around his armpits, and I noticed him occasionally wiping the sweat from his brow. Suddenly in the distance somewhere came the sound of what I could only say was a chainsaw. Well, close to the sound of one anyway. It had an unusual buzz to it that undeniably sounded a lot closer than the noise of the chainsaw itself. All three of us stopped to listen. None of us seemed to be able to tell which way it was coming from. Didn't realize we were near a logging site out this way, I thought out loud. We're not. The closest one is about 40 miles from here, countered Henry. Could just be someone gathering some firewood, I said. Weirdly, the noises I normally associated with the forest had stopped. The breeze had died too. Sweat beaded on the back of my neck and slowly made a cold trail down right to where my belt was. I shivered slightly in response. I scanned our surroundings looking for the source of the noise, but the trees created a weird acoustic and I found it impossible to tell. Strange, Henry said. It sounds wrong. What do you mean? I asked. It sounds like it's on a loop, just the same buzzing noise on repeat. He was right. I hadn't noticed it at first, but it was clear now. There was no deviation in the tone of the chainsaw noise. Not like when you cut wood and the tone and pitch change as the engine works more and less to cut through the trunk of a tree. Something wasn't right about it, and it just made me want to be as far away as possible from it. Whatever it was, was giving me chills down my spine. Suddenly the sound stopped. Without warning, we were plunged into complete silence. No leaves rustling in the wind. That breeze was gone too. But most strange of all, not a single bird was singing. Not a single note. My unease grew even more, to a point where I actually felt like there was a lump in my throat I couldn't swallow. We should just keep mo- Click. The sound came before I could finish my sentence. I glanced over to where the noise had come from and I saw Henry aiming a .38 revolver high above his head. What the fu- Boom. He fired it. The surrounding area echoed the sound across the whole place, and the forest itself seemed to come alive as hundreds of birds flocked from the treetops and made a quick getaway from the loud noise. In the distance, I noticed a few deer dart from the cover and disappear into the thick vegetation of the forest. You crazy son of a gun! Why the hell do you have that out here? I asked angrily. You know we could lose our jobs if they find out you carry one of those in a company vehicle. Calm down, son. It's just a bit of protection. This is bear country, don't forget, said Henry crossly. Besides, nobody will find out as long nobody says anything. He eyed Stan and me as he said this. Geez. All right, just put the thing away before you blow someone's head off waving that about. Can we just get on and get home already? I said, throwing my arms up into the air and pushing past them both in the direction of the trees to the east. The chainsaw noise had disappeared too. Whoever it was were now probably scared someone lunatic was out here with a gun in the middle of nowhere. Henry scowled at me as I passed him, but soon matched my pace and was walking along beside me. Stan was following on behind. He didn't seem the least bit worried about what just happened. Guy's an idiot, this one. How can he not give a damn about him randomly firing off shots when he's just met the man, I wondered. You can thank me later, Henry said to me under his breath. What for? Bringing a gun with you to work so we can all get fired? 
No, for probably saving your tail back there, he said. From what? You really are crazy, aren't you? They have been following us for a while now. Goosebumps covered all over my skin and I suddenly went cold. The hell are you on about Henry? Don't mess about, this is not funny, man. Look, I'm not going to say anything, so just drop the act, will you? I said. My mind went back to the chainsaw noise, wondering if he wasn't just trying to scare the living crap out of me, because if he was, it was damned well working. Them things, you might not have seen them, but I did. See, I know what I'm looking for. I've seen them before. The last time I was out these ways, like I said earlier. What things, Henry? I thought those were just stories you made up to scare people. Holy hell, it was getting me worried enough as it is. I don't want to hear any more of it, I said. Look, all I know is that they mean bad trouble. They aren't natural, whatever they are. People go missing out here regularly and nobody seems to give a damn about it. Whole groups of people have gone out hiking and never return. Campsites are found undisturbed, but the owner just outright disappears. Then, the next you hear about them is a random piece of their clothing turns up out of the blue. Usually a shoe or something. No blood on it or scratches or anything. Normally within a few days of them disappearing. But whatever turns up is usually far away from where they went missing. Too far for them to have got there themselves in the time that they are gone. We're talking miles away. Something strange happens in this forest. So keep your eyes peeled, son. It might just mean the difference between going home tonight and not. This was the most I'd ever heard Henry say when not recalling one of his many stories. Something about the way he was looking at me and the way he said it told me he was being serious. So why aren't telling Stan the same thing? If it's that dangerous here, I countered. Because I don't trust him as far as I can breathe. Something different about him compared to before. He won't look me in the eye. Also, in case you haven't noticed, he hasn't said a damned word since we left the trail back there. He was right. Stan had not said a word since he left us and came back. He didn't even flinch when Henry had fired the gun a minute ago, and he was standing right next to him. It should have nearly deafened him. I thought about what he was telling me and tried to process it all. The sun was getting lower and the light level in the forest suddenly seemed a lot darker. All right, let's just say you're right. We're in the crap and being followed by... Whatever it is, and something's not up with Stan. I glanced over my shoulder to make sure he couldn't hear us. Stan was ambling along behind us, and staring hard straight back at me. Uh, ye. You alright back there, Stan? I stumbled over the words, oozing suspicion. He just smiled back and carried on walking, then looked out to his right into the trees. Damn, what was up with his eyes? They looked as though they were glistening as if he was going to cry. But his posture and his body language were nothing but confidence. Yet at the same time, the way he was walking seemed off, slightly rigid or something. Henry drew my attention away as he started speaking again. If I'm right, which I'm almost certain I am, we need to make it back to the truck and out of these trees, and fast. What if we don't make it back to the truck? I asked fearfully. Then we're screwed, said Henry point blank. By now I was genuinely scared. For the first time in my life, I was fearing for my life, and I didn't even know what I was scared of. We need to turn back. We're only an hour's hike from the truck, and we should have enough daylight left to make it in time. But we need to leave. Now, said Henry. And what about Stan? You think there's something wrong about him? I asked Henry. I think he's one of them, he said. Back when we're at the fork and he came back from having a leak, 
Didn't you notice how quiet everything was? Like complete silence. Not quite, but damn silent. What, but it's Stan. Are you sure you don't need Gla? They can change into other things, came Henry's reply. My mind was racing, trying to take it all in. There was so much that didn't make sense. It should all just belong in a horror movie, but now, apparently it was real. It takes them time to perfect it, and usually it's not perfect. They even sound exactly the same as the person they are copying. I'm pretty sure that chainsaw noise back there was one of them. That's why it was sounding like a loop. Almost as he finished speaking, the chainsaw noise started up again, as if on cue. This time, though, it was a lot closer, and I was certain I saw movement behind Henry. We both froze. Henry followed my gaze. What I saw chilled me to the core. In the middle distance was the silhouette of what sort of resembled a person sitting on their haunches. But this person would have easily been at least eight feet tall if they were standing. It took a step closer, and must have covered a good ten meters in one stride. Its skin caught a rare ray of sunlight filtering through the trees. Its skin was pale and sickly looking, and appeared to be painfully drawn tight over the skeletal frame of its body, almost to the point of splitting open. I felt my blood run cold, but I couldn't move. I was frozen to the spot with fear. The same seemed to apply to Henry beside me. It cocked its head at us both, like a dog sometimes does. I realized its lopsided mouth was open, and just as it closed it the chainsaw noise stopped abruptly, only to start again when it opened its mouth for a second time. Inside were luminous serrated teeth, huge teeth, like some dramatic makeup prop. Henry stole a quick glance behind us. Damn, he whispered, Stan is gone. What the hell, I stammered, but I couldn't tear my gaze away from this thing. It was like it was staring straight into my very being. Suddenly it closed and opened its mouth again. This time, instead of the chainsaw, it emitted a loud and clear click. Henry looked down at the revolver in his waistband. Holy crap, it's mimicking the noises we've been making, he said. Almost instantly, the creature lurched forward towards us at an incredible speed, but on all fours, bounding over a fallen tree half its own height like it was nothing. Run, I bellowed. I took off without looking back to check if Henry or the creature was following. I could hear branches breaking behind me, which I'm sure must have been him, as off to my side I could hear the same only a lot louder as if whole trees were being snapped in half. I ran for my dear life, as fast as my legs would carry me. I dropped the heavy bag that was weighing me down, expensive gear crashing to the floor. Damn it, I don't care how much it's worth, I thought. The chainsaw noise was underway again, getting nearer and faster as I broke back onto the Salt Creek Trail. My feet pounded the dirt beneath me as I pleaded with my legs to move faster. I suddenly was hit by what I could only describe as a wall of stench. The smell of rotting flesh was unmistakable, making me retch bile into my own mouth and burning my throat at the same time. I looked off to my side, and to my horror the beast was getting closer, bounding through the trees just a few meters off. It locked eyes with me and I nearly stumbled. The thing was smiling at me showing off row after row of unimaginably jagged, sharp teeth. It opened its mouth and let off an animalistic screech that was high-pitched and shrill, but reverberated around inside my body at the same time. I could hear Henry behind me somehow keeping pace somehow. He was keeping up even though he was in his sixties and we must have covered most of a mile by now. My own lungs were on fire and I could feel the burning in my legs start to become too much to push through. I was running on pure adrenaline and fear. I rounded the last corner before the small clearing. 
where we had parked the truck earlier, just a bit further and I was free of this nightmare. As I crested the small hill leading into the car park, my heart sank. There was no truck. There wasn't even a car park. Just another seemingly endless trail. My mind worked overtime trying to figure out if I had made a wrong turn. I was sure I hadn't. There was only one trail anywhere near here, and it was the only one in and out of the forest for miles around. I could hear the creature gaining on me. I dared not look into the trees again to see how close it was. My thoughts changed instantly as I heard the unmistakable noise of someone stumbling behind me. Oh, fuh. Crap. Ugh. Henry had fallen. I skidded to a halt and swung around to grab him. No! Keep going! He yelled at me. I hesitated for a split second. No, I can't leave him, I thought. But it was all the time the thing needed. Before I could take one step in Henry's direction, it was upon him. It pinned him face down into the dirt as it looked up at me. Its face was different. It looked like some kind of wolf, but with the torso of a man. What would have been its rear legs were also that of a wolf. Only this thing was standing up now and was at least seven or eight feet tall. All I could smell was rotting flesh, so strong it was making me want to puke again. My mind tried to make sense of it all. Had it changed shape again? I asked myself. The creature opened its wide mouth and let off a horrific screech before leaping away with Henry in its clutches into the tree line. As I stood there dumbfounded, I heard a wet squelching and cracking sound accompanied by a terrible guttural scream. He was dead. Henry was dead. Before I could even process that he was gone, taken by some damned creature, I head the chainsaw off to my side again. Tree branches started thumping and cracking as something made its way to where I was, and fast. There must have been more than one, I realized. I took off again, not even time to think about what savage end Henry must have met. Hell, I didn't even want to try to imagine it. As fast as my legs would carry me, I headed further along the trail that should have taken me back to the truck and to safety. Up ahead, there was a turn in the track. Could I have got it wrong? Was the car park further than I had originally thought? All around me, the forest was alive with screeching and branches snapping and the loud clicks of Henry's revolver cocking. It was getting louder the closer I got to the bend up ahead. As I suddenly was on top of the corner, the noises reached fever pitch. I was sure I was done for. I rounded the bend only to be confronted with the sudden end of the trail and a wall of dense, thick trees. I was screwed. I was certain that these were going to be the last moments of my life, torn to shreds by something nobody even knew existed. I dove into the trees, not wanting to give up yet, somehow believing I could escape. But in reality, the trees were where they were most at home, leaping about like it was nothing while I blindly tripped and stumbled my way onwards. Without warning, the ground beneath my feet dropped away, and before I knew it, I was falling, down and down, smashing into trees and branches on the way. I looked down at where I would land just in time to see a massive bough from a tree coming straight for my face. I hit it full force and saw stars replace my vision. I tried not to think of the terrible things about to happen to me after those things caught up with me. Then everything simply went black. All I was aware of was a high-pitched whining noise coming and going. I'm not sure how much time passed. The first thing I could sense was movement all around me. Then I could hear shouting. Yes, shouting. That meant people. Something opened my eye and a blinding bright light poured in stinging my corneas. Then the same to the other. I opened them both and was staring face to face with a woman I had never seen before. He's awake! She exclaimed. 
My head was pounding and there was a tingling sensation down my left side. Suddenly I was aware of a terrible throbbing in my forehead. I let out a pathetic groan in response to the pain. Morphine, said the woman loudly. Her booming words rattled my brain. It's okay, sir. We're going to give you something for the pain. Just try to relax and not move. She was holding my head firmly in place. My eyes scanned over behind her and I saw a male paramedic coming over with a syringe. He just fell out of the tree line straight in front of my rig, a large man said. He was wearing denim and a leather jacket. He looked to be speaking to a police officer who was busy taking notes. I must have blacked out again because I next woke up in the hospital as a nurse was reading my vitals. Hello, sir. Don't worry you are safe now. That was some nasty accident you had back there. You were lucky that 18-wheeler didn't run you over. I opened my mouth, tried and speak, but no matter how hard I tried, no words would come out. It turned out I had suffered mild brain damage as a result of my fall. It took me nearly three years to be able to speak properly again. Endless therapy sessions, and the constant pain of not being able to tell anyone about what had really happened in that forest. Henry and Stan, to this day, are still listed as missing people. Police interviewed me, but all I could say was that I couldn't remember anything that happened that day. I was considered a suspect for a very long time, but they had no evidence of any foul play. I think eventually they got bored and genuinely started to believe I had hit my head hard enough to not remember any of it. I was also visited in the hospital by a representative of my employer. I was basically scared of signing a non-disclosure form about anything that might have happened to me whilst in the forest. I wish that were true. The truck driver visited me also during my time in the hospital. He was a nice man if a bit rough around the edges. Nick Current is his name and I'm still friends with him today nearly 20 years later. The thing is, though, something he told me doesn't quite sit right. The location where I nearly landed directly under his wheels was just outside of Bloomington on the I-46 road, over 10 miles away from where we were working that day. I still don't know what those things were in the woods. I try not to think about it mostly. They just give me nightmares. I'm just glad to have gotten it off my chest, so to speak. Maybe tonight, I will sleep a little better finally. I just hope nobody else has to go through the same things that I did almost 30 years ago. I've always felt more at home in the wild expanses of Montana than anywhere else. The crisp air, the scent of pine and earth, the clear, star-filled nights, they're a part of who I am. My name is Robert Blake, a park ranger. At least that's what I used to be. The day that changed everything started out just like any other. The sun painted a golden hue over the morning sky, casting long shadows over the landscape. But the call I received that day was anything but ordinary. Lisa, a young hiker with a taste for the path less traveled, had gone missing. With a sense of determination coursing through me, I prepared myself for the search. It wasn't the first time I had been tasked with finding a lost soul in the wild, and I intended to bring Lisa back just like all the others before her. I packed my gear, checked my compass, and set out towards the unexplored region where Lisa was last seen, a remote, barely-touched part of the park that folks around here tend to avoid. As my boots crunched through the carpet of pine needles, a chill gripped me, unnatural for the season. The forest stood tall and dense, its quietness oddly unsettling. Usually the forest echoed with life, birds singing, 
leaves rustling, the murmur of a distant creek. That day the silence was profound, an orchestra with no conductor. I shrugged it off as just another quirk of this lesser-known part of the forest. The deeper I ventured, the more the forest seemed to change around me. The trees looked distorted, gnarled, as if they held untold stories. Animals I encountered had a strange, almost knowing look in their eyes, their behaviors erring on the side of bizarre. They watched me as I passed, their gaze unsettling, filled with an eerie intelligence. As I progressed, my compass needle started to dance wildly. North was everywhere and nowhere. Static filled my radio, punctuated by fragments of an unintelligible language that sent chills down my spine. This was not normal, not at all, and the realization sank heavy in my stomach. But I couldn't turn back, not yet. There was a girl missing, and it was my job to find her. Hours turned into an afternoon when I stumbled upon what I'd been searching for, Lisa's campsite. The tent was torn apart, her belongings scattered around in disarray, but the absence of struggle or blood was eerily ominous. I found her diary, filled with hastily scribbled entries about whispering shadows and eyes in the darkness. As I read, a shudder ran through me. It was unsettling, yes, but also a sign that Lisa was here, and I had to find her. The sun began its descent, and darkness started to creep into the forest. But I couldn't leave. Not yet. I decided to stay, to brave the darkness. Maybe I'd find something in the night that would lead me to Lisa. Looking back, I see now that it wasn't the wisest decision, but at that moment, all I knew was I couldn't leave Lisa alone in this eerie forest. So I stayed, oblivious to the terror that the night would bring. Little did I know, I was stepping into a nightmare that would forever change me leaving scars that even time wouldn't heal. The sun dipped below the horizon, plunging the forest into darkness. I set up a makeshift camp near Lisa's torn tent, the stark signs of her disappearance a grim reminder of my task. As the last light faded, the chilling silence grew heavier, a tangible entity pressing on me from all sides. I had always loved the night. The darkness was a canvas for the stars, the silence a melody of the wilderness. But that night, under the canopies of the ominous trees. The darkness felt different. It felt alive, almost sentient. The silence wasn't just the absence of noise. It was a void, an emptiness that felt like it was consuming everything, even sound itself. The wildlife, which had unnerved me in the daylight, was now completely absent, their absence only amplifying the sense of dread. I found myself missing their odd behaviors, their strange watchfulness. At least they were a sign of life, a comfort in the increasingly foreign landscape. As hours rolled by, the anomalies I had noticed in the day worsened. My compass needle continued its frenzied dance, oblivious to the laws of nature. The radio's static was a steady undertone, broken only by those cryptic foreign whispers. They grew louder, more insistent as the night grew darker, a grotesque soundtrack to my mounting fear. I began reading Lisa's diary again, seeking some clue, some hint about what might have happened to her. Her frantic entries about the shadows that whispered, and the eyes in the darkness took on a terrifying new meaning as I sat in the gloom. Was this what she had felt? The same inexplicable fear, the sense of being watched. Desperate to break the deafening silence, I found myself speaking out loud, calling for Lisa, hoping against hope that she would respond. But my voice sounded strange, distorted, swallowed by the eerie quiet. The forest seemed to be listening, waiting. The dread was a living creature now, 
curling around my heart in a grip of ice. In the midst of this, I found something peculiar near Lisa's tent, a trail of peculiar footprints leading into the deeper parts of the forest. They were not human nor any animal I could recognize, a bizarre pattern that stirred a primal fear in me, a remnant from ancient times when humans were prey, not predators. I decided then, in a bout of what I now know was folly disguised as bravery, to follow the trail. I had a torch, a gun, a sense of duty that was beginning to feel more like a death wish. I couldn't shake off the feeling of eyes on me, a watchful presence that was neither animal nor human. With a deep breath, I ventured further into the heart of the woods. As I walked, my footprints joined those on the trail, an unwanted dance with an unseen partner. The decision to stay overnight was turning out to be far more terrifying than I had anticipated. The unsettling woods were proving to be more than just a strange, unexplored part of the forest. They were a living nightmare, a labyrinth of fear and dread. But I was in too deep to turn back now. The path before me held untold terror, but it was also the path to Lisa and to answers I desperately sought. That night, in the heart of the disturbed woods, I came face to face with an entity I could neither understand nor explain. I would not find Lisa, but I would find fear, a fear so profound that it would change me forever. Following the trail deeper into the forest, I could feel the world shifting around me. It wasn't just the disorientation of the dark or the spine-chilling silence that suffocated every sound. There was something else, something deeper, a presence that I couldn't see but could feel in every fiber of my being. I had started to feel it the moment I stepped into this eerie part of the forest, a sense of watchfulness that hung in the air like a specter. But now, as I trudged on, the presence became more palpable, pressing against my senses with a weight that was almost physical. It felt as if the forest itself was watching me, whispering in an ancient, forgotten language. Suddenly my torch flickered out, and I was plunged into complete darkness. Panic surged through me as I fumbled to turn it back on. All I could hear was the pounding of my heart in my ears, the rush of my own breath. The static from the radio had ceased, replaced by a silence so profound it was deafening. The whispers, now clearer, seemed to come from every direction, their cryptic syllables echoing through the darkness. In the distance, I saw something, a flicker of movement, a distortion in the darkness. I squinted, straining my eyes. Then I saw them, the eyes that Lisa had written about, glowing faintly in the dark, staring at me from the depths of the forest. I can't explain what I felt in that moment. It wasn't fear, not just fear. It was a feeling of being completely and utterly helpless, a small, insignificant creature in the face of something so ancient and vast that it made my existence feel pointless. I wanted to run, to flee, to escape this terrifying place, but my body refused to obey, locked in place by an unseen force. The eyes watched me unblinking. The whispers grew louder, their alien syllables filling the air around me. Then it moved. The eyes shifted, and I saw a form taking shape in the darkness, a mass of shadows that didn't belong to any animal, any human. The presence was no longer just a feeling. It was real, and it was right in front of me. The entity didn't attack. It didn't need to. Its mere presence was a show of power, of dominance. It was a part of the forest, or maybe the forest was a part of it. I could only stand there, frozen in fear, as it watched me with those glowing eyes. And then, it spoke. The whispers converged into one voice, 
a deep, resonating tone that echoed through the silent forest. It spoke in the same cryptic language, the words sounding ancient and powerful. I didn't understand what it said, but I felt it. A warning, perhaps, or a proclamation. It was a message meant for me, a solitary human lost in the vast, ancient wilderness. As abruptly as it had appeared, the entity receded into the darkness, the eyes fading away, the whispers dying out. But its presence remained, a lurking consciousness that filled the forest. I was left standing in the darkness, my mind reeling from the encounter. I didn't find Lisa that night, but I found something far more terrifying, an entity that was the forest, an ancient consciousness that still haunts me to this day. After the entity disappeared into the shadows, I was left alone in the profound darkness, my mind racing. The glowing eyes, the cryptic whispers, the sheer force of its presence, everything was imprinted on my mind, refusing to fade away. The forest, which had once felt like home, was now an alien world, a maze of terror where I was the prey. The silence was broken by a rustling sound. I spun around, the beam of my torch cutting through the darkness, illuminating nothing but trees. The whispers had died down, but a new sound filled the air, a low hum vibrating through the very ground beneath me. Then it came, a gust of wind, so cold that it seemed to seep into my bones. It whipped through the trees, stirring the leaves into a frenzied dance. A sense of dread filled me, a raw, primal fear that set my heart pounding. I could feel it again, the entity, its presence more intense than before. I started running. The fear, the raw terror, it fueled me, propelled me forward. Branches whipped against my face. Roots seemed to rise to trip me up, but I didn't stop. I ran, my breath coming out in ragged gasps, the cold air stinging my lungs. Behind me I could hear it, the entity. It wasn't a sound, not really. It was the whispers, the hum, the wind, everything merging into a dreadful symphony that seemed to follow me. I could feel its eyes on me, a predator watching its prey. I didn't know where I was going. My compass was useless, spinning wildly. My torch was a feeble defense against the all-encompassing darkness. All I knew was that I had to get away, get out of this terrifying place. After what felt like an eternity, I saw it, a glimmer of light in the distance. The sun was rising, painting the sky with hues of orange and pink. I ran towards it, my entire being focused on escaping the darkness, escaping the entity. As I emerged from the forest, the sun's rays hit me, warm and reassuring. I collapsed onto the grass, my lungs heaving, my body screaming from the exertion. Behind me the forest stood silent, a stark silhouette against the dawn sky. The entity didn't follow me out of the forest. Maybe it couldn't, or maybe it chose not to. But even as I lay there watching the sun rise, I could still feel it. Its presence was like a shadow, a dark imprint on my consciousness. I never went back into the forest after that. The memory of that night, the terror, the entity, it was too much. I still have nightmares, dreams where I am back in the forest, being chased by the entity, its glowing eyes watching me from the darkness. The forest was my home, my sanctuary. But that night, it turned into a terrifying labyrinth, a place of fear and nightmares. It was a reminder that there are things in this world that we cannot understand, cannot explain, entities that are as old as the forest itself, lurking in the shadows, watching, waiting. The morning after the encounter with the entity, I was a changed man. I had ventured into the forest as a park ranger, 
confident and fearless, only to emerge as a shell of my former self, broken and terrified. As the sun rose higher, painting the world in shades of light, I hobbled back to the ranger station. Every step away from the forest felt like a victory, a triumph over the unspeakable terror that lurked within its depths. I entered the ranger station, my body still shaking from the adrenaline, my mind in turmoil. The familiar space felt foreign, alien, just like everything else since my encounter. I sat at my desk, the report forms in front of me a grim reminder of the task I had failed. I had gone into the forest to find Lisa, to bring her back to safety. Instead, I came back alone, with nothing but a terrifying story, and the haunting memory of an entity that defied all logic and reason. How could I write that in a report? How could I explain the unexplainable? I wrote the only thing I could. I reported that I had found signs of a struggle near Lisa's campsite, signs of an animal attack. I couldn't bring myself to write about the entity, the glowing eyes, the cryptic whispers. Who would believe me? I hardly believed it myself. As the days turned into weeks, my life became a monotonous routine. I went through the motions, did my duties, filed my reports, but I could never go back into the forest. Each time I tried, I could feel it calling to me, the entity, its presence like a specter hanging over the forest. Sleep became an elusive friend. Each time I closed my eyes, I was back in the forest, under the gaze of those glowing eyes, surrounded by the alien whispers. I woke up each night, drenched in sweat, my heart pounding, the echoes of the entity's voice still ringing in my ears. I knew then that I could no longer continue as a park ranger. The forest, once my sanctuary, was now a symbol of my deepest fears. The thought of stepping into its depths, of feeling the entity's gaze on me, it was too much to bear. So I quit my job. I left the park, the forest, and moved as far away as I could. I traded the vast wilderness for the bustling city, the ominous silence for the constant noise, the ancient trees for towering buildings. It was a painful decision, a tearing away from a part of my soul, but it was a necessary one. I often wonder about Lisa, about what she saw, what she felt. Did she encounter the entity? Was she as terrified as I was? I wish I could have done more, could have saved her. But in the face of the inexplicable terror, my courage had failed me. The memory of the entity, its glowing eyes, its powerful presence, it haunts me to this day. I am a prisoner of my own fear, trapped in a nightmare that refuses to end. The forest, the entity, it is a part of me now a chilling reminder of the night that changed my life forever. Moving to the city didn't help as much as I'd hoped. The towering buildings, the constant noise, the ceaseless bustle, they were all alien to me. I felt like a man out of time, lost in a world that was too loud, too fast, too different. But it was still better than the forest, better than the haunting gaze of the entity. My nights remained plagued with nightmares. The entity was always there, its glowing eyes watching me, its cryptic whispers echoing in my ears. I'd wake up gasping for breath, the terror of the encounter still raw, still fresh. It's been years since that fateful night, since I left the park and moved to the city. I've grown used to the concrete jungle, the human-made wilderness, but I've never gotten over the fear, the dread that lurks in the back of my mind. One day, while strolling through a city park, I saw a group of children playing near a small grove of trees. The sight of the trees, their leaves rustling in the wind, sent a shiver down my spine. I could almost feel the entity's presence, the familiar sense of watchfulness. I quickly left the park, my heart pounding, my palms sweaty, 
Even the smallest grove was enough to trigger my fear, to send me spiraling back into the terror of that night. I realized then that I would never escape the entity, not truly. There are nights when I lie awake, the city's noise a muted backdrop to my thoughts. I think about the forest, the entity, the mysteries that lurk within the wilderness. I wonder if it's still there, still watching, still waiting. I know that I can never go back, never face the entity again. The forest was my home, my sanctuary, but it's also my greatest fear, a haunting reminder of the terror that lies beneath the serene facade of nature. I sometimes receive letters from my former colleagues, updates about the park, about the forest. They've found more missing hikers, more signs of struggle, more unsolved mysteries. Each letter is a chilling reminder of my encounter, of the terror that I left behind. The last letter contained a photograph. It was an image of the forest, taken near the place where I had encountered the entity. There, in the depths of the wilderness, caught in the camera's flash, were two glowing eyes, watching, waiting. The image sent a jolt of fear through me, the memory of the encounter flooding back with an intensity that took my breath away. I could almost hear the whispers, feel the entity's gaze on me. It was a chilling reminder that the entity was still there, still watching. I know now that I can never escape the entity, never escape the forest. Even here, in the heart of the city, I can feel it. Its presence is a constant specter, a chilling shadow that haunts my every moment. I am forever marked by the entity, forever haunted by the terror of the forest. As I look out at the city skyline, the forest memory looms in my mind, a reminder of the terror that lurks in the wilderness, the ancient entity that watches and waits. My sanctuary, my home, is now my forever nightmare. Never did I imagine that the forest I considered a second home could become my own personal nightmare. The day started like any other adventure into the Appalachian Mountains. The sun was shining, the sky an expanse of brilliant blue, and the leaves rustled like a hushed lullaby on the summer breeze. Duke, my trusty German shepherd, was beside me, his tongue lolling out in anticipation of our venture into the wild. As an off-duty park ranger, I loved these trips. They gave me a chance to forget the demanding nature of my job and reconnect with the serenity of the wilderness. I'd camped in these mountains countless times before, but this time it was different. It was just Duke and me, two adventurers eager for some solitude and the embrace of nature. I made the drive up to our usual spot, the tires of my trusty truck crunching over the gravel road. Unloading our gear, I couldn't help but feel a sense of peace. I took a moment, drinking in the vibrant greenery around me, the scent of pine and earth, the distant burble of a creek. I've always found something therapeutic about being out here, away from the bustle of everyday life. Duke, as always, was a bundle of energy. He dashed around, sniffing excitedly at bushes and trees, marking our arrival. The sight of him, so happy and carefree, brought a smile to my face. Slow down, boy, I called out to him, but my admonishment was swallowed by the expanse, my voice echoing softly against the distant mountains. Setting up camp was second nature to me. With practiced ease, I pitched our tent on a patch of flat ground near a clear, bubbling stream. I arranged the rest of our gear, double-checking everything was in order before rewarding myself with a break. 
I cracked open a beer, took a long swig, and watched as Duke splashed about in the stream. Night fell gradually, the setting sun painting the sky in hues of pink and orange before surrendering to the encroaching darkness. I built a campfire, its warm glow pushing back against the night. Duke settled in next to me, his wet coat steaming slightly in the fire's warmth. The comforting crackle of the fire filled the silence, a melody as familiar as an old song. As I looked out into the darkening forest, its shadows deepening with the waning light, I felt a strange unease. I shrugged it off, attributing it to the solitude and the encroaching night. Little did I know then that this journey would take a turn for the terrifying, that these familiar woods would soon become a maze of fear. I remember those last moments of peace, the calm before the storm, before I drifted off to sleep. Duke, my loyal companion, lay close, his rhythmic breathing a comforting lullaby. The forest whispered its nighttime secrets, the stars above twinkling like a thousand watchful eyes. Yet, in that peaceful silence, a hint of our upcoming ordeal echoed ominously. If I'd known what awaited us, would I have packed up and left that very night? But of course, the future was a mystery then, obscured by the veil of the unknown. Unaware of the nightmares that awaited us, Duke and I fell asleep to the symphony of the wild, blissfully ignorant of the horrors the following days held. Morning broke with a strange stillness, the usual chorus of birdsong muted, as if the wilderness itself was holding its breath. The first pangs of unease fluttered in my gut, but I shook it off, blaming it on a rough night's sleep. I went about my morning routine, brewing strong coffee over the campfire and sharing breakfast with Duke, who seemed his usual energetic self. Yet, as the day unfolded, an odd disquiet seeped into my bones. Time felt distorted, elastic. Hours seemed to compress into minutes. One moment, the sun was high in the sky, casting long, dappled shadows through the canopy and the next, the afternoon was already waning, a cool breeze rustling through the trees. I tried to ignore the unsettling sensation, attributing it to my solo sojourn and the strange rhythm of the wilderness. But as the day wore on, the feeling persisted. An hour-long hike felt like minutes, while moments of idle rest stretched out, seemingly endless. As the disconcerting day gave way to twilight, I found another enigma waiting. My meticulously organized camping gear was displaced, items moved or missing entirely. My map and compass, which I'd placed inside my backpack, were found outside, near the edge of our camp. A pot I'd used to heat our dinner was missing, only to be discovered later, filled with rainwater, some distance away from our site. Duke, who usually dozed through the afternoons, was unusually alert. His ears perked up, his gaze constantly flitting towards the dense undergrowth. The sight of him, usually so carefree, now riddled with anxiety, unsettled me more than I cared to admit. The nightfall was eerie, the forest unnaturally silent. I cooked a simple meal, my thoughts racing, my heart beating an anxious rhythm in my chest. I considered leaving, but the thought of navigating the treacherous mountain roads at night kept me rooted. Later, as I lay under the canvas of the tent, the darkness pressing in from all sides, an unfamiliar sound echoed in the distance. A low hum, pulsating, seeming to originate from the depths of the forest. It was a sound alien to the usual symphony of the wilderness, chilling me to my core. Duke stiffened beside me, a low growl rumbling in his chest. I told myself that it was just the wind, 
the rustling of leaves, anything but the haunting drone that seemed to reverberate through the very ground beneath us. My own reassurances fell flat, the sound continuing unabated, a spectral echo in the quiet night. As the surreal day gave way to an even stranger night, the reality of my situation began to set in. I was alone, lost in an unfamiliar version of my beloved wilderness, with only my faithful dog for company. As the strange sound filled the night, its rhythm matching the pounding fear in my heart, I realized that the solitude I had sought was morphing into a terrifying isolation. I spent the rest of the night in a fitful sleep, the haunting hum a constant undertone to my troubled dreams. The image of my displaced gear and Duke's anxious demeanor haunted me, the forest's whispers growing louder, more insidious. Unbeknownst to me then, this was just the beginning, the first strains of a nightmare that would plunge me and Duke into a horrifying ordeal, forever changing our perception of the wilderness we once considered home. Each day brought more confusion, my perception of time growing increasingly distorted. The pulsating hum from the heart of the forest became a nightly terror, an unyielding rhythm that reverberated in my bones, filling my dreams with a sense of impending doom. Even Duke, brave and stalwart as always, had become a shadow of his former self. His eyes, once filled with playful curiosity, were now clouded with a palpable fear. I tried to convince myself that it was all in my mind, a figment of my imagination, a consequence of solitude. After all, I was a seasoned park ranger, a man of the wilderness. I was familiar with every nook and cranny of these mountains, every animal that prowled these woods. But the displaced gear, the unsettling hum, the warping time, Duke's strange behavior, none of it fit the pattern of my past experiences. No natural explanation seemed to quell the terror brewing inside me. I was in my territory, yet it felt alien, as if the wilderness itself was turning against me. One morning, I awoke to find Duke rigid with fear, his fur standing on end, his eyes trained on the dense forest. I strained my ears, expecting to hear the eerie hum, but instead, a shuffling noise came from the undergrowth, too heavy to be just the wind rustling the leaves. I grabbed my flashlight, its beam piercing the early morning fog, but there was nothing there, just the dense forest, shrouded in a deceptive calm. The hum returned that night, more ominous than ever, as if mocking my attempts at reasoning. During the following days, I tried to carry on as normal, but the strange occurrences continued. Items were displaced more frequently, Duke's agitation escalated, and the ominous hum became a haunting serenade to the nightmare that was unfolding around me. As a park ranger, I had my share of frightening encounters, poachers, wildlife, harsh weather, but this was different. This fear was not of a known danger, but an unseen, unheard, unfathomable presence that seemed to cloak the forest. This fear gnawed at my sanity, kept me up at night, and made me dread the approaching darkness. Every night was a battle, a struggle to make sense of the unknown terror that gripped me. The once comforting isolation had turned into an oppressive solitude. Duke and I were on edge, our nerves frayed, the tension a heavy shroud wrapped around our little campsite but nothing could have prepared me for what happened next. The terrifying ordeal that was about to unfold was beyond anything I had ever faced in my life. It was a nightmare from which there was no waking, a horror that no amount of training could have prepared me for. As I stoked the dying embers of our campfire one night, an otherworldly presence descended upon our camp. 
an unspeakable terror that would confirm my worst fears and leave me questioning everything I thought I knew about the wilderness. Little did I know that the pulsating hum that filled our nights, Duke's growing restlessness, and the strange happenings were merely the overture to an encounter that would send us fleeing into the depths of the forest, our very lives hanging in the balance. The night was black as pitch, the fire our only source of light against the enveloping darkness. The humming had grown louder, more insistent, a haunting dirge echoing through the desolate forest. Duke lay by my side, his body tense, every fiber of his being attuned to the unseen menace. The fear was a living, breathing entity now, wrapping its cold tendrils around my heart, squeezing tighter with every beat. I found myself staring into the shadows, my mind churning with horrifying possibilities. My rational side fought to regain control, yet the mounting evidence was hard to ignore. Suddenly, Duke growled, a deep guttural sound that sent chills down my spine. His gaze was fixed on a spot just beyond our firelit sanctuary. I followed his gaze, my heart pounding a brutal rhythm in my chest. There, on the edge of the light, something moved. An indistinct shape that was too large to be any regular forest inhabitant. I scrambled for my flashlight, its feeble beam cutting through the darkness. But the light only served to deepen the shadows, the creature lurking just beyond its reach. I could hear it moving, the rustling of leaves, the snapping of twigs under its weight. As if it sensed my fear, the creature stepped into the light, its form clearer than I would have liked. It was unlike anything I had ever seen, a twisted fusion of man and beast, its eyes glowing an eerie green. The sight of it, this perversion of nature, drained the blood from my face, and a cold sweat broke out on my forehead. A scream tore from my throat, raw and primal, a feeble protest against the unimaginable horror before me. Duke barked furiously, his usual courage wavering in the face of the monstrosity. The creature responded with a gut-wrenching roar, the sound echoing in the silent night, drowning out the omnipresent hum. Panic took over, obliterating any semblance of reason. I scooped up Duke and bolted, the flashlight dropping from my grasp, plunging our world into darkness. The terrifying roar followed us, a grotesque serenade to our desperate flight. The forest, once my haven, turned into a nightmarish labyrinth. Branches reached out like gnarled hands, clawing at my face and clothes. Rocks and roots emerged out of nowhere, tripping me up. But I couldn't afford to slow down, not with the monstrous presence hot on our heels. The fire, our camp, our gear, all were left behind in the chaos. My only thoughts were of escape, of getting as far away from the creature as possible. The forest closed in around me, an impenetrable wall of shadows and fear. Driven by sheer terror, Duke and I ran. We plunged deeper into the forest, our world reduced to the chilling roars of the creature and the thudding of our own hearts. As we ventured further into the unknown, I couldn't help but realize that we were not just running from a creature. We were running from the realization that our beloved wilderness had been transformed into a terrifying realm of the unknown, a place where nightmares came to life. Days and nights blurred into a relentless cycle of fear and exhaustion. The wilderness was no longer a familiar sanctuary, it was a twisted maze of haunting echoes and lurking shadows. Each rustle in the undergrowth was the creature closing in. Every unexpected sound was a signal of our impending doom. The creature, thankfully, seemed to have lost our trail, but the damage was done. The pulsating hum was replaced by a chilling silence that was just as unnerving. The disorientation was severe, 
I tried to navigate by the stars, my ranger training kicking in, but the dense canopy above offered little assistance. Duke and I moved as stealthily as possible, driven by an instinctive will to survive. Our days were spent in a haze of fear, our nights filled with disturbing dreams and jolts of panic. Our only sustenance was the few edible berries and plants I could identify, and the occasional small game I managed to snare. Eventually, after what felt like weeks but could have been days, we emerged on the other side of the forest. The sight of an open road slicing through the greenery was more beautiful than any mountain vista I had ever encountered. Relief washed over me, a palpable force that left me weak-kneed. Duke seemed to share my sentiment, his tail wagging for the first time in days. We staggered onto the road, our bodies battered, our spirits barely holding on. I tried to wave down the first vehicle I saw, but the driver, probably spooked by my disheveled appearance, sped away. My heart sank, but I gathered what little energy I had left and prepared to try again. The next car, however, was a different story. The driver, a middle-aged man with kind eyes, pulled over and rolled down his window. After explaining our predicament in a hoarse whisper, he readily agreed to take us back to my vehicle. The drive back was a surreal experience. Sitting in the passenger seat, with Duke's head resting on my lap, I watched the familiar landscapes whiz by, a stark contrast to the alien nightmare we had just escaped from. When we reached my parked vehicle, I thanked the driver profusely, promising to pay his kindness forward. As Duke and I climbed into the car, the man gave us a sympathetic smile and drove away. As I turned the key in the ignition, I took a moment to process everything we had gone through. The safety of the car felt like a cocoon, shielding us from the horror we had left behind. I stared at the rearview mirror, half expecting to see the creature emerge from the forest. But there was nothing, just the whispering trees swaying in the breeze. We drove away in silence, the echoing roar of the creature still ringing in my ears, a chilling reminder of the nightmare we had survived. The hum may have subsided, the displaced gear was now a distant memory, but the terrifying creature and its haunting presence were forever seared into my consciousness. Little did I know that the horror wasn't over, not by a long shot. The most chilling revelation was yet to come. I returned to my cabin at the edge of the park, a safe haven I never thought I'd see again. Duke and I were silent wrecks, our minds grappling with the terrifying ordeal we had barely survived. The comfort of a hot shower and a soft bed seemed a world away from the nightmare we had fled. After ensuring Duke was settled in, I ventured out to report my encounter to the local authorities. The disbelief was palpable as I recounted my experience, the creature, the hum, the displaced gear. I had expected skepticism, but the outright dismissal stung. Days turned into weeks, but the memories of the creature and the forest were as fresh as ever. Duke and I were forever altered by the experience, our once adventurous spirits replaced by a lingering dread, but the most terrifying part was yet to come. One night as I lay tossing and turning, a familiar sound pierced the silence. The hum. It was faint, almost imperceptible, but unmistakably the same ominous sound that had haunted our camping expedition. A cold fear gripped my heart. Duke's low growl confirmed my worst fears. I shot up in bed, my eyes scanning the darkness outside the window. But there was nothing, just the quiet, isolated landscape bathed in moonlight. But the hum persisted, a spectral symphony to my spiraling terror. That's when I noticed it. The flashlight, the same one I had dropped in our panicked flight, 
was lying on my bedside table. Its presence was impossible, a chilling testament to the inescapable horror that had followed us back. The forest, the creature, the terrifying ordeal. It was all right here in my supposed safe haven. The familiar objects in the cabin suddenly felt alien, menacing. I glanced at Duke, his eyes mirroring my fear. We were not safe. We had not escaped. The nightmare was not confined to the wilderness. It had followed us back, marking our existence with its horrifying presence. That night, sleep eluded me. The hum seemed to grow louder with each passing minute, an ominous lullaby for the dawn that never seemed to come. The cabin, once my refuge, was now just another scene in the terrifying narrative that was my life. The subsequent days were a blur of sleepless nights and paranoia-filled days. The hum persisted, a constant reminder of the creature lurking in the shadows of my mind. The flashlight, despite my several attempts to dispose of it, always found its way back. As I pen down these words, the hum resonates around me, a soundtrack to my living nightmare. The flashlight flickers, casting eerie shadows around the room. Duke, my loyal companion, cowers by my side, his eyes never leaving the window. The wilderness has followed us back. The creature, the terror, the fear. They are all here, shrouded in the seemingly mundane surroundings of my home. There is no escape from this nightmare, no waking up to a bright and sunny day. Our tale doesn't end with a triumphant return. It continues in this never-ending horror that is our reality. This is our life now, forever trapped in a terrifying echo of that fateful camping trip in the heart of the Appalachian Mountains.